We are in part three of our series together, and this word together is the word that God spoke to me for our church uh, for this year. Um, And so if you haven't been here for the past two weeks, I want to encourage you, uh, make sure you go on our podcast and listen to those messages because all of these messages kind of go together. And so next week, we're going to end these, this series on together. And so you need to make sure that you have listened to all four weeks because they all flow together about what God has spoken to me concerning uh, the church this year in 2019. Amen? All right. Well, let's pray. Father, we pray that you would anoint my lips, anoint the word. And Lord, I pray that our hearts would be open and receptive to what you have for us in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been using the word together as an acronym for this series. And so far, the T uh, was for the word trust. The O was for the word ownership. The G was for the word genuine. The E was for the word effort. And so today we're going to be looking at the second letter T in the acronym. And we're using the word table for the word T in our acronym for together. When we look at the life and ministry of Jesus, no one really talks about this much, but a lot of significant moments took place while Jesus was at a table, okay? Uh, And if you read the Gospels through this lens, you will see that, man, some really big, big moments in the life and ministry of Jesus happened at a table. Jesus evangelized at a table. In Matthew 9 and 10, it says this, Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. Uh, Jean Leclerc described Jesus' strategy for evangelism this way. Jesus ate good food with bad people. That was Jesus' evangelism strategy. He didn't make it complicated. He didn't make it difficult. He ate good food with bad people, and he reached them that way. Uh, Jesus was anointed with very costly perfume at the table. Matthew 26, 7 says, A woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil, And it it was actually a year's worth of salary that this woman paid uh, to purchase this expensive perfume. So just think about your salary and spending an entire year's worth of salary and then pouring it on someone's feet to anoint them and worship them. That's what this lady did. And she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. Jesus gave his disciples the great commission while at the table, I always, I always envisioned him preaching to a crowd of people and giving them this great commission to go out and make disciples. But he actually gave this great commission to his disciples while sitting at a table. Mark 16, 14 through 15 says, Later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table. And he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And Jesus washed his disciples' feet and showed us what it meant uh, to to walk in servanthood during the Last Supper at a table. John 13, 12 says, So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, 
Do you know what I have done to you? While growing up, I always tried to get out of eating dinner uh, at the dinner table, out of eating meals at the dinner table, because I would rather go to the living room and watch TV while I ate. Uh, I'd rather watch Fresh Prince or Martin or, or whatever the, the, the show that was in at that time was while I ate dinner instead of sitting as a family at the dinner table. And although that's what I wanted to do at that time, looking back, I now regret that I neglected the dinner table growing up because um, more than just food is passed around at the dinner table. Ideas are passed around at the dinner table. Experiences and stories and memories are passed around at the dinner table. Values are passed around at the dinner table. Laughter is passed around at the dinner table. The table is so, so important. And I think the church as a whole has neglected the table for far too long. And because of that, we have made the church building and the church service the main thing instead of building relationships with one another the main thing. We have made something entirely different the main thing, and I think the church as a whole is suffering because of it. We've made the worship leader the main thing when it comes to church. We've made the preacher the main thing when it comes to church. And the ramifications of this is that we have created a consumer model of church that has permeated the United States of America where people treat church like they're going shopping instead of a place where they're building something and they're worshiping God. Amen. People come to church and they say, I need dynamic music. I need an intellectually stimulating message. uh, And I also need a stand-up comedian as a preacher. Uh, My kids, they need to feel like they're going to Six Flags every single Sunday morning for kids' church. I need the service time to be late enough for me to sleep in on Sunday morning, but short enough so that I won't miss Sunday brunch. Amen? And if people find another church that's doing what they're shopping for better, then they'll just leave their current church and go to that church. Because we come to church to shop. We don't come to church to build. We need to bring back the table as the centerpiece of our church life. I said this quote last week, but I want to share it with you again because it's so, so good. The original architecture of the church was a table in a home. The foundation of the original church, it wasn't a steeple, it wasn't a stained glass window, it wasn't a worship band, it wasn't a celebrity preacher... It was community. It was sitting around a table, breaking bread with one another and getting to know one another. That was the original architecture. That was what the foundation of the church was built upon. They uh, They had difficult conversations at the table. They celebrated victories at the table. They came together and said, we need, to, we need to pool our resources to help one another at the table. They came up with, uh, uh, you know, they, they dealt with theological issues at the table. And that's why the early church was so successful. They talked about their wounds and being persecuted for their faith at the table. They prayed for one another at the table. And that's why the early church was unstoppable. 
Maybe sharing our faith would be a little more effective if we started sharing meals, having meals, sitting down and talking to people that don't know Christ and sharing our faith that way instead of doing it in a way that's not palatable to those that don't know Christ. And over sautéed chicken breast and asparagus or, or cheeseburgers and french fries, whatever you want, over coffee, we, we share our faith and we have discussions about what Jesus has done in our lives. I believe if we took that route, it would be much more effective versus preaching at them from afar. If we're not careful, our tables can become a boundary marker. If we're not careful, our tables can become a boundary marker. And here's what I mean. Tables become boundary markers when the only people sitting at our table look like us, think like us, act like us, believe like us. They become a boundary marker when we're surrounding ourselves with people who are the same exact people like us. They're in our socioeconomic background, their same level as us, they have the same skin color as us, all of those things. When we only have those types of people sitting at our table, it has become a boundary marker in our lives where we're saying, I'm only comfortable around this type of person, and that's the only person that I will let at my table. God wants our tables to become a way of letting people into our lives, right? Not a boundary keeping certain types of people out of our lives. So take inventory. Who, who do you allow into your life? Who do you allow to sit at your dinner table? Who do you have coffee with? Who do you have meals with? Is it people that look just like you and think just like you? Or, or is there a vast variety of different types of people that you are letting into your life? Uh, listen to this quote here. It's good to be reminded that the table, and, and that, yeah, it's up here for you to read along. It's good to be reminded that the table is a very ordinary place a place so routine and everyday that it's easily overlooked as a place of ministry. At its base, hospitality is about providing a space for God's Spirit to move. Setting a table, cooking a meal, washing the dishes is the ministry of facilitation, providing a context in which people feel loved and welcome and where God's Spirit can be at work in their lives. Hospitality is a very ordinary business, but in its ordinariness is its real worth. Yeah. Whatever it looks like, your own table is a sacred place. Simon Carey Holt said that. And I think we need to take that to heart. My main ministry might not be behind the pulpit. It might be sitting at my dinner table. We don't really have a dinner table yet, but we're going to buy one. We only have TV trays right now. <laughs> but sitting at my TV tray sharing stories and ideas and thoughts and love with someone that I invited into my home. That might be where I make the most impact in my life. And that might be the, way, the place where you make the most impact in your life. Uh, this problem of neglecting the table isn't just an issue in the church. Okay, It's definitely a huge problem in the family as well. Get this. this. When I read this uh, stat, it blew me away and it messed me up, really. It, it kind of changed uh, the way I view uh, the table. 
60 years ago, the average family dinner time was 90 minutes long. You want to know how, much, how long it is on average today? I'm not saying everybody, but on average. The average family dinner today in 2019, 12 minutes long. 12 minutes long. We wonder why we are having so many issues and problems in the home. Why we're having such a breakdown in the home. We don't spend any time together. We don't talk to one another. We don't look each other in the eye and say, how's it going? How's life? What, what are you going through today? How can I help you today? What can I do for you today? Uh, sociologist Cody C. Delastrati found this in his research about family dinners. The number one factor for parents raising kids who are drug-free, healthy, intelligent, kind human beings is frequent family dinners. The number one shaper of vocabulary in younger children, even more than any other family event, including play, was frequent family dinners. The number one predictor of future academic success for elementary age children is, you guessed, frequent family dinners. The variable most associated with lower incidence of depressive and suicidal thoughts among 11 to 18-year-olds. And I know this is an issue because I was a youth pastor for six and a half years, and I had, you, you, I had countless teenagers come to me saying, I, I'm struggling with cutting. I have suicidal thoughts. I had to visit kids in the hospital several times that were in the hospital because they OD'd on pills or they tried to kill themselves. So I know this is an issue. It's frequent family dinner. It's because they don't have people speaking into their lives and pouring into them on a regular basis. And this is something that I have started instituting in our family as well because the paramalas, uh, I took my bad habit into uh, adulthood and into our family, and Priscilla has this habit as well. The paramalas love to watch TV whilst eating dinner. And so what we started doing is we, we're turning off the TV we're not allowing phones, iPads, anything during that time. And we are going to eat dinner as a family and we're going to communicate with one another during that time. If we reclaim the table and commit to eating and fellowshipping with one another, I believe our church and our families, they're going to be much healthier. The problem is that we want everything done so quick that we push out those rich things in our lives that we'll only get through spending lots and lots of time doing them. Making the table the centerpiece of our church life goes completely against the grain of this consumer mentality of church because it's not get in and get out as fast as you can, but a come in and sit down a while mentality, right? It's not a fast food church, but a farm to table approach to church. Right? It's organic. It takes time and effort. It takes a level of self-denial to do church this way. Because th there's times where I don't want someone in my house. <laughs> I'm just going to be real. I just want to sprawl out on my couch in my pajamas and just watch TV. Right? I just want to sit down. I want to be able to yell at my kids when they're doing something wrong. I don't want to have to be sensitive because people are over. I, I want to yell at my wife and tell her to get in the kitchen because I'm hungry. I'm just kidding. I'd never do that. <laughs> she, she tells me to do that. I'm like, yes, ma'am. Uh, but I just want to, I just want to, like, 
I just want to put my guard down and just do nothing, right? And so this, this type of church, this type of community, it takes a level of self-denial on our part. But the benefits outweigh any sort of inconvenience that I would experience. Listen to Revelations, uh, Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20 in the message translation. Look at me. I stand at the door. I knock. This is Jesus talking to us. If you hear me call and open the door, I'll come right in and sit down to supper with you. Jesus wants to supper with you. Uh, Jesus doesn't just put up with you. Right? He actually loves you and he actually likes you and he wants to sit down and talk a while. He wants to commune with you. He wants to hang out with you. He wants to spend time with you because he values you and he likes you and he likes your personality. Why? Because he gave it to you. He likes your he likes how you look. Why? Because he created you. He knitted you together in your mother's womb. He had a purpose and a plan uh, for you before the foundation of the earth. So, of course, he wants to spend time with you because he likes you and he loves you and, and he, he, he views you as not a mess up, not a screw up, but a masterpiece. Amen. Uh, Jesus wants to supper with you. He wants to sit down at your table. Are you inviting him? Is, 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 are you leaving a space open for him in your life? So that's the T in the acronym for together. For the letter H in our acronym, we're using the word hospitality. The word hospitality means the friendly reception and treatment of guests or strangers. Treating friends or strangers in a warm, friendly or generous way. I don't know about you, but it's much easier for me to invite someone I know over than a stranger, yeah. right? I, I'm, you know, we, my wife and I, we're both, we have people over all the time and, we, and I meet with people all the time, but naturally we're, we're a bit of, of homebodies and we have, we have this idea of the home as more of a, uh, as more of a, a time to like, we have such public lives, a time to sort of relax and let the guard down. And so uh, to, to, ha to be hospitable to strangers, it doesn't come natural to me. I'm like, I don't know you. I don't know, your, I don't know who you are. Like, I have young kids that are really cute. I, I, I've got to protect them and all of that stuff. You know what I mean? But biblical hospitality is treating strangers and people you know the same way and being warm and friendly and kind and hospitable to them. The Bible, man, it talks so much about this that it makes me uncomfortable because it convicts the mess out of me. It really does because it, it goes against the grain of, of who I am, right? And that's what the Bible is supposed to do. It's supposed to challenge you and stretch you, right? Listen to what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12. Uh, starting with verse 10, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Man, that's, that's amazing right there. Don't serve the Lord like in a bad mood, right? Don't serve the Lord like you're doing Him a favor. Serve the Lord enthusiastically. Come on, Paul, preach it. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When you've prayed enough, keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. 
Again, I've been saying this throughout this series, and I'm going to say it again. If we're not in each other's homes hanging out, if we're not breaking bread together, if we're not sharing meals with one another and eating and laughing together, how can we become a loving community that reflects Jesus? How? Paul tells us here that we are to practice hospitality. That word practice means actively engaged in a specified career or way of life, like a practicing physician, meaning a physician that is actually seeing people and treating people. It means to pursue. It means to do something with intense effort and with definite purpose and goal. That's how we're supposed to view hospitality. It's not supposed to be something we learn about. It's supposed to be something that we do on a regular, consistent basis. When you practice something, you repeat it over and over and over with the intention of getting better at it, right? For example, uh, before I ever get up on a Sunday morning to preach a sermon to you guys, I've already practiced it several times. Uh, Contrary to what most church people think, pastors don't just get up on Sunday morning and say whatever comes to their mind, right? (laughs) That's not what we do. In fact, we pray all week over what God would have us share to you. And then we pour hours and hours and hours into creating the content in what we're going to share with you, right? And then we practice preaching our message to ourselves several times. Times I'm in a coffee shop and I'm and I'm preaching my message and I, people probably think I'm one of those crazies that just talk to themselves. But I'm preaching my sermon. Why? Because I want to uh, I want to clearly communicate God's word to you in the best way that I possibly can. So I don't just get up on Sunday morning and God whatever comes to my mind I just kind of share it. No, I'm spending hours and hours praying and preparing and laboring over my message that I feel that God has for me to share with you. Why? Because I take this job seriously, and I take you seriously, and I think you deserve the best. Amen? Hospitality must be practiced. It must be intentional. It must be pursued. When my family, we visited Kansas City over the holidays, and we visited my parents, and my mom, you know, she's, she's a hospitable person. And while we were there, she cooked the favorite meal of every single person in my family. And we all have different favorite Indian meals. She cooked every one of them for us. Every single four different meals she cooked for us. Uh, for Priscilla, she made chicken 65. I think they call it chicken 65 because it has 65 different spices involved in it or something like that. Uh, for Avia, she made chicken tikka masala. And when she, when she made Avia chicken tikka masala the first time a couple years ago, uh, she made it for her and set it down for Avia. And Avia kind of poked around it a little bit. And she said, this isn't chicken tikka masala. And my mom was like, yeah, it is. I made it. I spent hours. Well, not hours. She, I spent a lot of time making it. I was like, this isn't chicken tikka masala. I think my mom's feelings were probably hurt a little bit by then. And she said, yes, it is. I made it. I know what chicken tikka masala is. I'm Indian. Have you said, no, it's not. And finally, my mom was like, why don't you think it's chicken tikka masala? And she said, because the chicken doesn't, they don't have holes in it. Because the way you make chicken tikka masala, you, you, you grill the chicken pieces, you skewer it, 
right? And then you grill it, and then you add the, the chicken tikka masala curry to it, and then you serve it that way. So guess what my mom has done since Avia said that? She takes a skewer, skewer, takes those chicken pieces, puts a hole in it, then cooks it over, because she doesn't grill the chicken, she cooks it over the stovetop, mixes in the curry, and then serves Avia the chicken tikka masala with holes in the chicken. Why? Because she loves Avia, and that's her way of being hospitable to her. Uh, for me, my parents made ground beef curry and chicken biryani, and for Boston, they made green bean and potato curry and this little tortilla thing that we call a puri. How special do you think that made us feel? That my mom, from scratch, would make these specific favorite meals that we enjoy as a family. That made us feel so special, that made us feel you know, welcome because of the kindness that she showed us. And that is what hospitality looks like. That's how it looks, what it looks like lived out. Have you ever been somewhere where you felt completely unwanted? Doesn't that suck? Doesn't that absolutely suck? I'll never forget when we were invited to some friends of ours home. And we get there, and I had, I've never felt so unwanted in my life from the moment we got into their home. And they invited us from the moment we stepped in their home. They were cold to us. They were mean to us. They made it clear that they didn't want us in their house. And I'm like, why did you invite us? And the worst thing about it, we, we were out of, out of our state. We were in another state, so we couldn't go anywhere. So we just had to go through this for like a week. <laughs> It was horrible. <laughs> Hospitality is incredibly important to God. Deuteronomy 23 uh, verses 3 through 6 says this, No Ammonite or Moabite or any of their descendants for ten generations may be admitted to the assembly of the Lord. Why? Verse 4, These nations did not welcome you with food and water when you came out of Egypt. Instead, they hired Balaam, son of Beor from Pethor in distant Aram Naharam to curse you. But the Lord your God refused to listen to Balaam. He turned the intended curse into a blessing because the Lord your God loves you. Verse 6, as long as you live, you must never promote the welfare and prosperity of the Ammonites or Moabites. God took offense to the Ammonites and Moabites because they didn't welcome the Israelites with food and water uh, while they were in the wilderness traveling from Egypt into the promised land. They actually went so far to hire a prophet to pronounce a curse on Israel during this time. And because these two nations were so unhospitable, God said, do not promote their welfare do not promote their prosperity. Do not join yourself with these guys whatsoever. That's how important hospitality is to God. Listen to what Jesus had to say about this idea of hospitality in Matthew 25, starting with verse 34. And I'm reading 12 verses here, so bear with me. It'll be up on the screen for you to read along. Then the king will say to those on his right, 
Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality? or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say to them, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Verse 41, then the king will turn to those on the left and say, away with you, you cursed ones into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. Verse 46, and they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. Man, Jesus treats our relationships and willingness to be hospitable to people that are not as fortunate as us, to people who we know and to people who are strangers to us so seriously that he says that if you do it for them, you do it for me. Regardless of how low or high they are on the scale of influence, regardless, if you do it to them, you have done it to me. Mm -hmm. Jesus tells us in this intense passage that hospitality and kindness towards our neighbors and strangers alike is credited to us as if we had done those things for God himself. That's how high he views how we treat people, how we treat relationships in our lives. And the same is true if we are not hospitable and kind, right? Hospitality positions us to receive the inheritance of being a part of the kingdom of God. In the book, Love Kindness, Barry Corey describes hospitality as the act of opening what we have as much or as little and sharing it with someone else. Mm -hmm. See, because you don't have to have much to be a hospitable person, right? right? Because I've been to very poor parts of the world around people who may have been uh, materially poor, but they were rich in hospitality and kindness. They didn't have much, but what they had, man, they were willing to share. They didn't have a lot of food, but the food they had, man, they, they were like, eat, eat, eat. Yeah. And they would give us seconds and thirds. And I'm like, man, I don't like how this tastes, but man, I love your hospitality. <laughs> and somehow I'm going to either eat this food or I am going to uh, figure out a way for somebody else to eat the food. <laughs> <laughs> Because, man, they, because it was their generosity, man. They didn't have a lot, but what they had, they were willing to give away. They were willing to give away. 
And that's something worth honoring. That is an honoring thing to do. And if I could have the worship team come, come up. Hebrews 13.2 says, Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing that. Isn't that amazing to think? Like we could, you know, our hospitality, bringing someone into our home, we could actually be entertaining angels, angelic beings. And that's crazy to think about. The church doesn't talk about this much, but hospitality is actually a Christian imperative. Yeah. It's not an option. Yeah. It's not on those lists. Well, I don't know if I want to do this or not. It's an imperative. It's yeah. a command. It's an act of obedience. Yeah. Man, the, the New Testament writers, they talk about hospitality. It's a requirement. If you want to be an elder or a deacon in the church, Paul says you got to be hospitable. That's on the list. Yeah. Hospitality is incredibly important for God if you want to be used by Him. It's not enough to be anointed. It's not enough to be gifted. It's not enough to be talented. You got to be hospitable too. You got to open up your life. You got to open up your home. You got to know how to serve people. You got to know how to treat people. You got to know how to be kind to people. You got to know how to welcome people into your life. Or, or, or you can't serve in leadership in the church. That's one of the requirements that Paul said. Yeah. See, because genuine hospitality can break cultural barriers. You might have differences in culture, but hospitality, genuine biblical hospitality can break those barriers. It, it can break political barriers. Yeah. You might not see eye to eye on every political issue, but hospitality can say, you know what? I can find something that we have in common. Yeah. Maybe it's just this love of food right here. But we can find something we can agree on. It, it can break barriers created through negative stereotypes. It, you can't imagine how you may have stereotyped a certain type of people. You sit down and eat with them. And, and you find out, wow, they are not like I thought in my mind. They are not like what other people told me about them. They are not this way. But it'll only happen if you sit down at the table and welcome them in your life. You don't know how many times I've sat down to eat with somebody and I was like, man, so-and-so told me they were like this, but they were nothing like that. It'll only happen if you open up your heart and open up your table. Genuine hospitality can break barriers created through different set of beliefs says Jesus sat down at the table with tax collectors who were the outcasts of Jewish culture at the time because they were working with the Roman government to tax the Jewish people. They would overtax the Jewish people and they would pocket the difference. So the Jewish people absolutely despised them and looked at them as misfits and outcasts and never invited them to the table. And it also says that Jesus invited sinners he invited prostitutes. He invited adulterers. He invited all of these people whom the Jewish people had set boundaries at their table for. They would never eat a meal with these types of people. Jesus, people with all sorts of different reputations and stereotypes, he sat down and eat, ate meals with these people. And he broke barriers because of that. 
sinners wanted to be around Jesus. Not because he acted the way they acted, but because he was kind and he was loving and he accepted them. Jesus, man, he preached some hard truths, but he was attractive to people that didn't believe the same way he believed. Why is that? Because we live in a culture, we live in a country where people don't, don't people that are not Christians, they, they run for the hills away from Christians. They run away from the church. They don't want to be in the church. The church is a source of pain for a lot of people. But we don't have to be like that. God hasn't called us to be like that. And when we're hospitable people, people will come to our table and we'll be attractive the way Jesus was attractive. Listen, I'm almost finished. Listen to what Rosaria Butterfield says about hospitality. I don't know why, but her last name, Butterfield, makes me hungry. Reminds me of Miss Buttersworth, the, the, the maple syrup. I love her name. Listen to what she says about hospitality. <laughs> All I can picture is that bottle that looks like uh, Miss Buttersworth now. I can tell you just got your fast. <laughs> I know. I know. I just got off my fast, man. <laughs> Radically ordinary hospitality. Those who live, those who live it, see strangers as neighbors and neighbors as the family of God. They recoil at reducing a person to a category or a label, like liberal, yeah. like Republican like gay, like straight, like black, white, Hispanic, Asian, whatever. They recoil from labeling people. And I'm not saying we forget about different cultures. No, we embrace cultures. But at the same time, they see God's image reflected in the eyes of every human being on earth. Those who live out radically ordinary hospitality see their homes not as theirs at all, but as God's gift to use for the furtherance of His kingdom. They open doors. They seek out the underprivileged. They know that the gospel comes with a house key. I love that last part. They know that the gospel comes with a house key. Meaning, you give people the right to come into your home. Why? Because a godly people are a hospitable people. When you invite someone into your space and love on them, barriers have no choice but to be broken. Right? You know, a couple, uh, about a month ago, Lamont, he was sitting by Jame over. He had to go because he has to work. We had him over to our house for the first time ever. And he told us when he got there, he was like, I was nervous because I had never been invited over to a pastor's home, first of all. And I didn't know what I I needed to wear. Is it business casual? Uh, Do I need to wear a blazer, slacks? And and (laughs) he didn't know. But when he came to our house, he was like, man, you guys are like down-to-earth, chill people. He, he He was like, I didn't know why you wanted me over to my house. I didn't know if you wanted to interrogate me, if you wanted to know about my life. I'm an open book, man. You can ask me whatever I want. I was like, Lamont, I just want to get to know you. I just want to hang out with you. I just want to enjoy some food and talk, chill. 
When you allow people into your space, it breaks down walls and barriers. He had a stereotype of what a pastor was, not a bad stereotype, but he, had, he thought he had to wear a bow tie to, 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 to my house, right? <laughs> Probably because his understanding of a pastor is stiff and always, you know, quoting scripture and, you know, all of those things. And I love quoting scripture, but I can talk about other things. I can talk about Taylor Swift. I can talk about sports. I'll talk about sport. I know more about sports than pretty much anybody. You know what I'm saying? I, I can talk about what's going on in pop culture. Well, for the most part, Christian and John always talk about rappers. And I'm like, who? Six, nine, who? I don't know. I can talk about Tupac and Biggie and Nas and all those guys in the 90s, but I can't talk about these new guys. When you invite someone into your space, and love on them. Man, barriers and stereotypes and walls come crumbling down. And it's through hospitality that you can find commonality with people you would normally never come together with. This is the kind of life God wants us to live. This is the kind of church God wants us to have. This is the kind of people that God wants us to be. Amen? A life together. A life together. Yesterday afternoon, Alexa, right here, she invited my daughter and Ticho's daughter, uh, Ramon, over to her house to have tea. Like she picked them up. She took them over to her home. She, she, they helped her make cupcakes and they had tea together. And uh, what, what else did they do? You did something else with them. Uh, yeah, they, I was, uh, today... Uh, Alexa was talking to Avi. She was like, did you enjoy your oatmeal mask? I was like, what? You guys did facials too? That's awesome. That is amazing. That's the kind of family atmosphere, together atmosphere that I want for our church. Where my kids love other people in our church, where they know other people in our church. Because pastor kids, pastor's kids, they're, first of all, they're notorious for being terrible. <laughs> Secondly, they're notorious for hating the church because they see the hurt and the pain and the struggle caused by, I'm sorry, church people to the pastors. And so I want my kids to have a positive experience of church. I want my kids to love the church and love the ministry. I want them to love the church people. Because like it or not, they know when mom and dad are hurt. They know when mom and dad are heartbroken. They know when mom and dad are overworked and overstressed. Why? Because my son comes to me and says, you and mom, all you guys do is talk about the church. Can we talk about something else? <laughs> like, yeah, buddy, let's talk about Patrick Mahomes. and Let's talk about whatever you want to talk about, buddy. But you are the key to my kids growing up loving the church. I don't want to give you any unneeded pressure, but you guys are the key to them having a good experience in church. Amen?